0: Hello and welcome to the November 2013 Respiratory Care Podcast. This is Dean Hess, editor of the journal, along with Sarah Moore. We will cover the first 10 original research papers published this month and then briefly touch on the remaining papers in the issue. Sarah, let's get started.
1: Our Editor's Choice paper this month is Effects of Condensate in the Exhalation Limb of Neonatal Circuits on Airway Pressure During Bubble CPAP by Youngquist and colleagues. Based on their observation of a large volume of condensate in the exhalation limb of a patient's circuit, they conducted a series of experiments to test the hypothesis that accumulated condensate could affect delivered pressures. An anatomically accurate nasal airway model of a preterm infant was attached to a spontaneously breathing lung model. A bubble CPAP system was attached to the nasal airway with binasal short prongs and the rate of fluid condensation was measured. Next, tracheal pressures were monitored digitally to detect changes in airway pressure related to condensate accumulation. Measurements were obtained with volumes of 0, 5, 10, 15, and 20 milliliters of water in the exhalation limb at flows of 4, 6, 8, and 10 liters per minute. Measurements with 20 milliliters in the exhalation limb were recorded with and without a pressure relief valve in the circuit. The rate of condensate accumulation was 3.8 milliliters per hour at volumes of ten milliliters or greater noticeable alterations in the airway pressure waveform and significant increases in mean tracheal pressure were observed the pressure relief valve effectively attenuated peak tracheal pressure but only decreased mean pressure by point five to one point five centimeters water the authors concluded that condensate in the exhalation limb of a patient circuit during bubble CPAP can significantly increase pressure delivered to the patient. The back and forth movement of this fluid causes oscillations in the airway pressure that are much greater than the oscillations caused by gas bubbling out the exhalation tube into the water bath.
0: Bubble CPAP is frequently used in spontaneously breathing infants with lung disease. Often, bubble CPAP systems lack pressure alarms and pressure release valves. Using an anatomically accurate nasal airway model of a preterm infant, these authors measured the effects of up to 20 milliliters of condensate. Condensate in the exhalation limb of the patient's circuit during bubble CPAP significantly increased pressure delivered to the patient. This informs the practice of emptying fluid from the exhalation limb every two to three hours.
1: Our next paper is Patient Ventilator Asynchrony in a Traumatically Injured Population by Robinson et al. Mechanically ventilated trauma patients at an urban level 1 center were enrolled. Breath waveforms were recorded over 30 minutes within the first 48 hours following intubation. Asynchronous breaths were defined as ineffective patient triggering, double triggering, short cycle breaths, and long cycle breaths. Asynchronous subjects were defined as having asynchrony in 10% or more of their total breaths they enrolled 35 subjects and analyzed fifteen thousand four hundred forty five breaths asynchrony was present in about twenty five percent of subjects asynchronous subjects more commonly used simv and took fewer median spontaneous breaths per minute SIMV with set breathing frequencies of 10 or more breaths per minute were associated with increased asynchrony rates. There was no difference in ventilator days, ICU or hospital stay, percent discharged home or mortality between the asynchronous and non-asynchronous subjects. The authors concluded that ventilator asynchrony is common in trauma patients and may be associated with the use of SIMV.
0: Prolonged mechanical ventilation, longer hospital stay, and a lower rate of home discharge have been reported with patient ventilator asynchrony in medical patients. Though commonly encountered, asynchrony is poorly defined within the traumatically injured population. Subjects with asynchrony were more commonly set on SIMV mode in this study. SIMV set with breathing frequencies greater than or equal to 10 breaths per minute were associated with increased asynchrony rates. These data further bring into question whether we should be using SIMV mode. There was, however, no difference in ventilator days, ICU or hospital stay, percent of patients discharged home, or mortality between the asynchronous and non-asynchronous subjects.
1: Our next two papers deal with the use of tracheostomy. Shan et al. evaluated the potential benefits of early tracheostomy in a meta analysis based on six observational studies. An electronic search was conducted by a uniform requirement, and then clinical data satisfying the predefined inclusion criteria were extracted. Data from a total of 2,037 subjects were included from six observational retrospective studies. Meta analysis suggested that early tracheostomy was associated with significant reductions in mortality, duration of mechanical ventilation, ICU stay, and hospital stay. However, as compared with late tracheostomy, early tracheostomy did not reduce the incidence of ventilator associated pneumonia. The authors concluded that their meta analysis suggests that early tracheostomy performed between days 3 and 7 after intubation had some advantages including decreased mortality and reduced icu stay hospital stay and mechanical ventilation duration in icu patients freeman et al examined the association between institutional resource expenditure and mortality in patients managed with tracheostomy They developed analytic models employing the University Health Systems Consortium Database. Administrative coding data were used to identify patients with the principal diagnosis of acute respiratory failure, procedures, complications, post-discharge destination, and survival. Mean resource intensity of participating academic medical centers was determined using risk-adjusted estimates of costs. Mortality risk was determined using a multivariable approach that incorporated patient-level demographic and clinical variables and institution-level resource intensity. The authors analyzed data from 44,124 subjects, 11% of whom underwent tracheostomy compared to low resource intensity settings treatment in high resource intensity academic medical centers was associated with increased risk of mortality including those managed with tracheostomy While neither the profile nor number of complications accumulated differed comparing treatment environments, mortality for patients with tracheostomy experiencing complications was greater in high resource intensity versus low resource intensity academic medical centers. The authors concluded that they were unable to demonstrate a positive relationship between resource expenditure and outcome in acute respiratory failure patients managed with tracheostomy.
0: Whether early tracheostomy can improve the clinical outcomes of critically ill patients remains controversial. The retrospective observational studies included in this meta-analysis by Sean et al. suggest that early tracheostomy performed between days three and seven after intubation has some advantages, including decreased mortality and reduced ICU stay, hospital stay, and mechanical ventilation duration. Freeman and colleagues were unable to demonstrate a positive relationship between resource expenditure and outcome and patients with acute respiratory failure managed with tracheostomy.
1: Sheikh Motahar Vahedi and colleagues examined the effect of nebulized furosemide as an adjunct to the conventional treatment of patients with COPD exacerbation in an emergency department. In this randomized double-blinded clinical trial, patients with COPD exacerbation were randomized to receive 40 mg nebulized furosemide or placebo, as an adjunct to conventional treatments. The authors recorded changes in dyspnea severity, FEV1, arterial blood gases, blood pressure, heart rate, and breathing frequency at baseline and one hour after treatment. 100 patients were enrolled. The measured variables all improved significantly in both groups. FEV1, dyspnea, pH, mean blood pressure, and heart rate improved significantly more in the furosemide group. The authors concluded that nebulized furosemide benefits patients with COPD exacerbation.
0: This is a nice study of nebulized furosemide as an adjunct to the conventional treatment of patients with COPD exacerbation. They found that dyspnea severity and measures of respiratory function were improved in patients receiving inhaled furosemide. These results are consistent with previous studies suggesting a role for inhaled furosemide in the management of patients with dyspnea.
1: Next, we have the paper by Brusasco et al. In vitro evaluation of heat and moisture exchangers designed for spontaneously breathing tracheostomized patients. They tested the efficiency of seven heat and moisture exchangers designed for spontaneously breathing tracheostomized patients in a normothermic model at a different minute ventilation and supplemental oxygen flow hme efficiency was evaluated using an in vitro lung model at minute ventilations of five and fifteen liters per minute and supplemental oxygen flows of zero three six and twelve liters per minute Wet and dry temperature of the inspiratory flow was measured, and absolute humidity was calculated. In addition, HME efficiency at 0, 12, and 24 hours of use was evaluated, as well as resistance to flow at 0 and 24 hours. The progressive increase in oxygen flow from 0 to 12 liters per minute was associated with a reduction in temperature and absolute humidity. Under the same conditions, this effect was greater at a lower minute ventilation the HME with the best performance provided an absolute humidity of 26 milligrams water per liter and a temperature of 27.8 degrees Celsius no significant changes in efficiency or resistance were detected during the 24-hour evaluation The authors concluded that efficiency of HMEs in terms of temperature and absolute humidity is significantly affected by oxygen supplementation and minute ventilation.
0: Heat and moisture exchangers are commonly used in chronically tracheostomized spontaneously breathing patients to condition inhaled air, maintain lower airway function, and minimize the viscosity of secretions. Supplemental oxygen can be added to most HMEs designed for spontaneously breathing, tracheostomized patients. These authors found that the efficiency of HMEs in terms of temperature and absolute humidity was significantly affected by oxygen supplementation and minute ventilation.
1: The next paper is Growth Arrest Specific 6 Protein in ARDS Patients, Determination of Plasma Levels and Influence of PEEP Setting by Deal et al. The aim of their study was to assess the implication of GAS-6 in ARDS and its variation according to PEEP setting, considering that different cyclic stresses could alter GAS-6 plasma levels subjects were enrolled in the express study comparing a minimal alveolar distension ventilatory strategy to a maximal alveolar recruitment strategy in ards plasma gas six interleukin eight and vascular endothelial growth factor levels were measured at day zero and day three by enzyme linked immunosorbent assay in blood samples prospectively collected during the study for a subset of fifty two subjects included in eight centers during the year two thousand five the authors found that gas six plasma level was elevated at day zero with significant correlations with il eight saps two score and the organ dysfunction and infection scores statistically significant decreases in gas six and il eight plasma levels were observed between day zero and day three in the high peep group while there were no differences between day zero and day three in the low peep group The authors concluded that GAS-6 plasma levels elevated in ARDS patients. The high PEEP strategy is associated with the decrease in GAS-6 and IL-8 plasma levels at day 3 without significant differences in day 28 mortality between the two groups.
0: Gas-6 is a vitamin K-dependent protein expressed by endothelial cells and leukocytes participating in cell survival, migration and proliferation, and involving many pathological situations. The results of this study suggest that gas-6 levels might be affected by ventilation strategy in patients with ARDS, but this does not appear to be a marker for mortality.
1: Changes in Sympathetic Nervous System Activity in Male Smokers After Moderate Intensity Exercise is by Ide and Tibira. They investigated the effects of moderate intensity exercise on the Sympathetic Nervous System in male smokers. Twenty-eight men were recruited for the study the activity of the autonomic nervous system was measured by power spectral analysis of heart rate variability spectral power in the frequency domain was quantified by integrating the area under the curve of the very low frequency power low frequency power high frequency power and total power bandwidths they assessed heart rate thermoregulatory sympathetic nervous system activity, sympathetic nervous system activity, and parasympathetic nervous system activity of the smokers before and after moderate intensity exercise. The smokers exhibited a greater degree of sympathetic nervous system activity. The sympathetic nervous system activity of smokers also showed a tendency to increase after exercise. Parasympathetic activity decreased after exercise in the smokers. These findings are contrary to findings previously reported in obese subjects. The authors concluded that increased sympathetic nervous system activity, including thermoregulatory activity, might contribute to cachexia in smokers.
0: In this study, it was found that male smokers exhibited a greater degree of sympathetic nervous system activity and reduced parasympathetic activity after exercise. The authors raised the interesting hypothesis that sympathetic nervous system activity might contribute to cachexia in smokers. This deserves further study.
1: The next paper is, The Quality and Reporting of Randomized Trials in Cardiothoracic Physical Therapy Could Be Substantially Improved by Geha and Colleagues. The primary aim of this study was to determine the methodological quality and completeness of reporting of cardiothoracic physical therapy trials. Secondary aims were to investigate the range of clinical conditions investigated in these trials and the degree of association between trial characteristics and quality all reports of randomized trials indexed on the physiotherapy evidence database and coded as being relevant to cardiothoracic physical therapy were surveyed individual items and total score were downloaded and some characteristics included in the consort statement were extracted for each trial report The mean Pedro score for 2,970 included reports of cardiothoracic trials was 4.7, with 27% being of moderate to high quality. The clinical conditions studied included chronic lung diseases, cardiac diseases, cardiovascular surgical conditions, sleep disorders, peripheral vascular disease, acute lung disease, critical illness, and other surgical conditions. The multivariate linear regression analysis revealed that endorsement of the consort statement by the publishing journal, time since publication, evidence of trial registration, sources of funding, description of the sample size calculation, and identification of the primary outcomes had associations with the total Pedro score. The authors concluded that there is great potential to improve the quality of the conduct and reporting of trials evaluating the effects of cardiothoracic physical therapy.
0: While the number of reports of randomized controlled trials in physical therapy has increased substantially in the last decades, the quality and reporting of randomized trials has not been systematically investigated in the subdiscipline of cardiothoracic physical therapy. The data reported in this study suggests that there is great potential to improve the quality of the conduct and reporting of trials evaluating the effects of cardiothoracic physical therapy therapy. Similar results are likely for other aspects of respiratory care.
1: The effects of abnormal blood pressure on arterial sampler filling times is by Cortez and colleagues. They studied whether the time required to fill a vented arterial sampler is an accurate indication of a successful arterial blood sample in adults with abnormal blood pressure. They hypothesized that mean arterial pressure and arterial sampler filling times would have a negative correlation and that venous sampler filling time would be significantly longer than arterial filling time. The study included 40 subjects, 25 arterial subjects, and 15 venous subjects. The arterial subjects included three groups, hypertensive, hypotensive, and normal. During the arterial and venipuncture procedures, the authors measured sampler filling time and recorded blood volume. The PO2 of samples was measured. Additionally, blood pressure and SpO2 were measured in the arterial group. The mean sampler filling time was 220 seconds per milliliter for the venous group and 18 seconds per milliliter for all three arterial groups combined. There were significant differences between each mean arterial sampler filling rate and mean venous filling rate. There were no significant differences in mean sampler filling rate between the arterial subgroups. The authors concluded that there is significant difference between arterial and venous filling rates.
0: Previous studies have shown statistically significant differences between arterial and venous sampler filling times, but included only a few subjects with abnormal blood pressures. Filling was much slower for venous than for arterial puncture. These authors found that, regardless of arterial pressure, the arterial sampler filling time can be used as an indicator of a successful arterial puncture at the bedside. This has important clinical implications. We published six additional original research papers this month. Busin et al. evaluated eight transport ventilators in a bench study under normal resistance and compliance conditions, ARDS conditions, and obstructive conditions. The most recent turbine ventilators outperformed the pneumatic ventilators. The best performers among the turbine ventilators proved comparable to modern ICU ventilators inspiratory capacity corrected for the total lung capacity defined as inspiratory fraction may be functionally more representative than other traditional indices in some patients Yan Zhang et al. investigated the association between inspiratory fraction and exercise capacity in patients with stable, moderate to severe COPD. Compared to FEV1, inspiratory fraction was a robust factor to reflect lung hyperinflation and to estimate exercise capacity. A 51-item COPD self-management scale was developed and validated by Sai-young Zhang et al. It includes five domains, symptom management, daily life management, emotion management, information management, and self-efficacy. They found that their scale is reliable, valid, and sensitive for evaluating the self-management status of patients with COPD. They suggest that this could be an important instrument for assessing and improving the self-management of COPD patients, particularly those in the Yunnan region of China. Chan and colleagues prospectively gathered data on all in-hospital cardiac arrests in the general ward over a two-year period. Not surprising, witnessed in-hospital cardiac arrests in the general ward had a higher rate of survival to hospital discharge respiratory insufficiency was a major preventable cause of in-hospital cardiac arrest woe would all determined whether variables such as inhaled gas composition gas flows delivered via non-rebreather mask a mouth opened or closed affect measurements of end tidal CO2. They found that, in normal subjects, end tidal CO2 measurements were not affected by heliox or gas flow at ten or fifteen liters per minute through a non rebreathing mask. Botanoreal et al. analyzed whether choosing the point of entry for closed pleural biopsy with thoracic ultrasound assistance influences the diagnostic yield in malignant pleural effusion. They found that selecting the point of entry for closed pleural biopsy using thoracic ultrasound increases the likelihood of obtaining pleural tissue and the diagnostic yield. They recommend ultrasound-assisted closed pleural biopsy to investigate pleural effusion since the diagnostic yield of a pleural biopsy with an Abrams needle increased by greater than 17% in subjects with malignant pleural effusion.
1: We publish a review this month on smoking cessation interventions for COPD. We also publish New Horizons symposium papers on the science guiding selection of an aerosol delivery device and the scientific basis for postoperative respiratory care. We are very pleased to publish a special article related to the new national approach to surveillance for ventilator-associated events. Our case reports this month deal with tracheal disease misdiagnosed as difficult to treat asthma, profound bradycardia with decreased PEEP, and Gorham syndrome with post-operative respiratory failure and requiring prolonged mechanical ventilation. Our teaching case relates to a rare cause of pulmonary embolism.
0: To receive the contents of this and past issues of the journal, visit our website at www rcjournal.com. There you can also subscribe to receive podcasts of future issues.